Welcome to the Journal of Adolescent and Adult Literacy podcast. I am your host, Matt Sroka. I'm a former English teacher. I'm a current clinical assistant professor of literacy at Mercer University. On this podcast, we talk about issues related to literacy with an emphasis on improving our practices. Today, I have a conversation with Dr. Teresa Redman about her article, Sparking Learning Through Remixed Journaling, Authenticating Participatory Ways of Knowing. I really like this article because it gets at the heart of what this podcast is about. Yes, kind of helping increase our understanding around ideas, uh, around um, ideas related to literacy, but also more than that, like offering practical guidance on how kind of this knowledge can improve our work. And I think we do that in this conversation. So before I get to the interview, let me um, introduce Teresa Redmond. She is an award-winning teacher, a widely published scholar, a creative maker with expertise in media literacy, curriculum design, education technology, and the arts. Her primary role is professor of media studies at Appalachian State University, where she teaches face-to-face online and blended courses across undergraduate and graduate programs. Teresa's research examines preparations and participation in the context of new media literacies, including digital and media literacies, expressive inquiry through remix, eco-media literacy, and arts-based pedagogies. Teresa presents at regional, national, and international conferences and publishes in peer-reviewed journals and edited collections, such as the Journal of Adolescent Adult Literacy, Journal of Curriculum and Pedagogy, Media Education Research Journal, and more. Along with traditional products of research, she actively engages in creative scholarship through art topography and other visual arts methodologies alongside original media production and curriculum projects. On this episode, we begin our conversation by broadening out the definition of literacy to include digital and media literacies. We then talk about uh, remix journaling, what it is, and how it can apply to your classroom in different contexts and why it's so effective. And then we end our talk kind of near, near where we began our talk by talking about the importance of out-of-school literacies and how we can make these connections between out-of-school literacies and in-school literacies. So here is my conversation with Dr. Teresa Redmond. Enjoy. Dr. Teresa Redmond, thank you for joining me on the Journal of Adolescent and Adult Literacy podcast. So let's start with this. Teresa, can you talk a little bit about kind of your background and how you got into this, uh, interest in this topic of remix journaling? Absolutely. Thanks so much. Uh, This is my 20th year in public education, and I started out as a middle and high school art teacher. And my passion's always been media literacy and integrating media literacy into the middle grades art classroom, which was about 80% of my load. Um, was a challenge because students just needed the arts experience. And so I eventually ended up in pre-service teacher education as a means to get media literacy into teacher preparation so that we would have uh, media literacy enter public K-12 schooling uh, more fully. But all this to say that when I entered academia uh, and the world of teaching and scholarship in the academy, I left my arts backroom behind. And I think for me that that was a loss that I slowly recouped over my years as I've started identifying arts-based research as a subgenre of qualitative research. So that's really how I got interested in the remix journaling. It was a revisitation of my arts background. Okay. And, and I'm interested in these kind of ideas around 
um, multimodal literacy and digital literacy and new media literacy, which you talk about in the article. Can you unpack some of these terms for us? What does multimodal, digital, and new media literacy mean? Fantastic. This is a great question. And rather than get caught up in the nuance of all of these different emerging and converging literacies, I'll suggest that literacy broadly is reading and writing. And if we were to scale back a bit beyond reading and writing of alphabetic texts, we can think about literacy as understanding and expressing, as participating in social and cultural practices uh, and, and communities through the signs and symbol systems that those communities use for communication. So I think focusing on understanding and expressing is helpful. And uh, I'll suggest that listeners look up Renee Hobbs' work with this idea of the big tent and to consider literacy as a big tent and underneath this large uh, inclusive tent are these multi-literacies. So when we get into the nuance of multimodal or digital or new media literacy, there's definitely uh, fields of practice and they are distinct in some ways, but I think looking at the overlaps and the commonalities as modes for expression or modes for understanding communication really helps us uh, enter the world of literacies more fully. So I, don't, I didn't really unpack those for you, but rather kind of avoided the mess of that question. Yeah, but I like the idea of literacy, that this Big Ten idea. And I mean, I think last week on, on, on the podcast, I talked to Dr. John, Dr. Neville, and we got in this idea of expanding our definition of literacy to also talk about kind of their home lives and the literacy that occurred in their home lives. Because I think sometimes within education, we're guilty of putting literacy in this box. And, and, and maybe not from a teacher perspective, but our students kind of view literacy as reading and writing that occurs in the kind of in the confines of school. Um, but you suggest that literacy should be thought of kind of in a more broad sense to include a lot more than just reading and writing in the classroom. Absolutely. Yeah. So why is it important for teachers to to think about this expanded view of, of, of literacy, specifically thinking of um, what you talk about, new media, new media literacy? Why is it important for teachers to bring this into their classrooms? Well, uh to prepare young people for current and future uh, experiences, to prepare young people for the world. Uh, new media literacy or media literacy, which is my area, is defined by the National Association for Media Literacy Education as the ability to access, analyze, evaluate, create, communicate, and act using information, using media in all forms. And so if we divide and uh, break literacy up into the experience of school, which is focused on alphabetic reading and writing, and the experience of students outside of school, which is everything else. It's popular media, it's music, it's memes, it's comics, it's streaming media, it's video games. Then we risk making schools irrelevant to the lives and the literacy lives of young people. So it's important for teachers to bring these emerging literacies, and, and in particular, I'll use the word new media literacies, into the classroom in order to prepare them for the world, to protect them from the kinds of um, harmful effects that some media do uh, contain or convey. And most importantly, which is often overlooked, is to enable them to experience joy. Media forms outside of schools are often an avenue for students to uh, 
engage in identity development, expression, communication, socialization. You know, memes are funny. There's humor and joy embedded in our literacy practices. And so we can do these three things, prepare, protect, and cultivate pleasure uh, in terms of our literacy experiences. Oh, I love that idea of, of cultivating pleasure. I think not, not just for our for our students and definitely, I mean, but definitely for our students, I don't mean to diminish that in any way, but I think also for teachers and, and, and we'll get into the, in the specifics of remix journaling, but like, this is a way for, I think, teachers to also find more joy in their teaching and to have some fun and kind of play within this, this field. Yes, absolutely. I appreciate you bringing that up. I think, I think bringing expression and broaden definitions of literacy into the classroom is certainly something that not only bridges schools with students' lives, but also, you know, we as teachers are in these mediated spaces outside of school as well. And it does create that joy for both, both groups. Absolutely. All right. So let's get into the remix jur- journaling. I'm, I'm curious to hear kind of a little bit of an origin story and, and, and what it is. Can you talk a little bit about re- remix jur- journaling? Absolutely. So when um, when I shared earlier that I have a background as a middle and high school art teacher and that I left that arts behind when I entered the academy um, and I kind of needed to re-know myself in an academic sense, I discovered visual journaling. And I had been engaged in visual journaling my, my entire life. I just never called it that. Mm-hmm. So a visual journal in a very broad sense is, is like a sketchbook, uh, a diary, an art journal. It can be your to-do list. It can be notes or ideas on something you're working on, or it can just be a collection of quotes, things that inspire you. It's really a flexible, adaptable conception of a journal that incorporates both images and words together um, and all sorts of mediums. Uh, And so I got into remix journaling because revisiting visual journaling in my academic career re-inspired and reignited my understanding of the power to move beyond alphabetic uh, text and incorporate imagery into uh, expression. And so I started off with some visual journaling in my media literacy class as a production opportunity. And I've written about that in the Journal of Media Literacy Education. But reconceptualizing visual journaling as remix journaling really broadened the boundaries of what students could do, uh, because I think visual journaling was conceived as, as art and Students may have felt that they needed to draw, and I talk about some of that in the article, but remix journaling is not about art, and it invites all sorts of modalities. So students could create photographic stories, or they could produce a meme, or make uh, GIFs. GIFs have been a very popular uh, (laughs) form that students have used. So remix journaling is really a trans-digital reconceptualization of visual journaling that I've been using in classes. Yeah, I love that. And it, it it does, you're right, it broadens that definition. I think when people hear kind of art, there there might be some of those uh, misnomers that I'm not good at art, right, <laughs> which is we can, I mean, that's a whole nother thing. But, whole other but thing. <laughs> yeah, but but this at least expands it to, to, to it's not just drawings, right? It's other productions. Oh, yes. Um, using digital tools or not digital tools to, to create things. Yeah, exactly. And once I broadened it and helped convey to students that the focus was on 
expression, synthesis and expression. And in the article, I talk about this four-step process for remix journaling that begins with engaging, engaging in our materials, whatever those might be, because this is an academic undergraduate course where I I did this research. Uh, And then the next step is to express. And that comes first, express your understanding, your perspectives, your synthesis of these materials as they relate to our courses, guiding questions and outcomes in, in a way uh, that that leverages whatever modes or media are are available to you. Some students are comfortable with a particular mode or format like memes. Others will engage in drawing. Some will really push themselves and each week they really want to do something different and they challenge themselves in that way. Uh, and then students explain their remix and the explanation is really important. It not only attends to the synthesis, which relates to our course content, but also to their creative choices. And that reflection on creative choices, why did you use a particular color scheme, font style, font size, why did you position symbols in particular places in the image is an important piece of identifying how expression conveys so much more than we might be able to share in alphabetic terms. Um, And that's an active process, that, that explanation. And then we uh, extend through conversation in the learning management systems uh, forum tool. So students reply to each other's work. Okay. Uh, I want to get back to that, replying to each other's work. But first, when we talk about the benefits of of doing this with our students, and I I love this idea, and I think it it works on, um, in your course, I think it could work in in high school and and middle school, I think it could work in a lot of places. The benefits I've, I've kind of, that has already been made clear to me are, one, it allows students kind of to express themselves. B, it it gives choice, right, in how they want to express themselves. I think it's really important that kids have choice. Um, also, that that why question kind of promotes that critical thinking. Um, are there other benefits on why teachers should be using this type of journal in, in their classroom? Yes. So in addition to those that you mentioned, I think uh, – Linking the classroom with students' experiences outside of the classroom is a, mm. is a huge one. So I I think a challenge for media literacy teachers, and I, I define myself or identify as a media literacy educator, is that media is changing so rapidly uh, that the examples I try to use in class often are outdated, even if they're not that old. You know, examples from 2016, 17, 18 you know, that's, that's mm. getting, that's getting on in years now, you know, students yeah. are watching different programs on streaming series, um, for instance. And so keeping up is a challenge. And by inviting students to engage in remix journaling, I don't have to be the purveyor of knowledge. So there's a decentralization of my role as teacher needing to be an expert in in media stories, they can talk about and identify particular media that are relevant to our topics and bring their own expertise to the table. So there's there's a kind of leveling of the playing field in terms of the academic power relationships. Uh, so that's an advantage. I think another one is the pleasure piece. Again, students have shared, and I, I didn't write about this in the article, but it is one of those themes that emerged. Students have shared that they're doing homework they're working for their class, but there's a care piece, a wellness piece, because expression is joyful. And so they might not make time for expression. Students have shared that they they used to like drawing or they used to like creating media, but they don't have time. So that's another advantage. Uh, I think there's advantages now in the time of AI and um, the chatbots, uh, mm. because, and this wasn't on the horizon when I was writing the article. And so now as I, I understand kind of this 
concern about authenticity, I see Remix as an authentic assessment process that is um, motivational, intrinsically motivational for students. So they're less likely to go create content using a chat bot. Yeah. Their own. Oh, absolutely. I think, I mean, I think part of our, our challenge as teachers has always been ways to engage students and ways to make it authentic for them. Yes. And I think that challenge is becoming becoming more and more of a serious challenge as students have alternatives. If they feel disengaged, yeah. if they're not sincerely kind of motivated, then there are more and more alternatives to, to take shortcuts. Uh, and so our challenge, I think, increases to, to make sure they're authentically engaging with the materials. And, and your um, remix jur- jur- journaling provides an opportunity, I think, to authentically engage. Which is great. I also think like the, the I was thinking as you were talking the like memes is they're ever evolving, and I'm glad I don't need to stay up to date on all the memes. Your right. students can, and they can can be control of that as they're creating all these products. And a good way for teachers to stay engaged too with with the new media literacies uh, based on what your students are producing. Absolutely, uh, cool. and that would be another advantage. I think it's an intergenerational kind of pedagogy when we start accepting students as experts in, uh, in, in, in literacies in their own right and, and bringing them to the table uh, and inviting them to bring their passions and popular media interests to the table, we, we enter into a teaching pedagogy that's intergenerational uh, because sometimes those memes are based in things that we know about that they don't. Or I had a student this semester who pulled a clip from Friends and they said <laughs> they were watching this super old show. <laughs> and so it gets really playful and intergenerational. Yeah, that's cool. And that, hey, that's more engaging and fun than for the teacher and for the students than, than maybe a, a, a reading quiz or, or set of, of reading questions um, if they're doing something like that. And something, oh, yeah. talking about the benefits, something I also I, um, mentioned in uh, an episode I did a couple weeks ago with Denny, uh, Dr. Jenny Theriault. Ther- we talked about um, with college reading and the challenges of college reading and how we're so focused on the end product, right? The reading quiz, let me hunt for the answers of the reading quiz. And we're less focused kind of on the process of reading and really understanding what we're reading and kind of sincerely and authentically engaging in the kind of the act of reading the process of reading. And it seems like remix journaling like promotes the process, right? Encourages the process of reading and is less concerned almost with the end product and more concerned with the process you go through. Uh, throughout the reading and creation of the product. I appreciate you bringing that up, Matt. And it gets at the intersections between remix journaling and another field of study called expressive arts. Mm -hmm. And in expressive arts, the purpose is the process. And I always identified with that sentiment as an artist myself. And I try to emphasize that with students, which is why the reflection, the explanation on creative choices is so important. And that's the piece that I think students struggle with, I'm learning, is is writing about their creative choices because they have been in an education system for so long that seems to prioritize the product. Even if we try to undo that and make the learning experience about the process, it's it's, a culturally reinforced in in other ways as well. So I appreciate you bringing that up. Yes, the purpose is the process. Yeah, I just had a student teacher who was, um, she was in a classroom and she had this idea, they're reading The Great Gatsby, and she had this idea of this multi-genre project 
where throughout the throughout the reading of the book, they'll pause and create a different kind of genre, um, whether whether an, an art, there was a eulogy, there was a news article, like just different genres. And and some students loved it. And for other students, there was a lot of pushback, like they just wanted the reading questions, because this is how they normally were taught with reading questions. And so I think for some students, um, there can be a little pushback, right, when when they're asked to do something that's creative, or that's not routine, when they're asked to kind of express themselves in a different way. Have you seen any of that pushback at all? I really appreciate you bringing that up too. I touch on it in the article in terms of quoting a couple students in their uh, perspectives interview who were skeptical at first. And I think in terms of overall pushback, because the experience is enjoyable, I haven't gotten much pushback. I do think that students are a little weary or hesitant, but after we do the first remix, there's a comfort that builds very quickly. And because we share, because we extend through conversation and they see other students' expressions, there's a community of practice that builds around the remix process. And I think that there is more comfort in that as well. Um, the process becomes one that everyone is involved in together. And so if there is discomfort, they're not alone. Uh, so I haven't received a lot of pushback. I think also the structure I offer students is invitational while also providing creative constraints. So it's very clear you have the two pieces, the expression and the explanation. And I have I have in you know created uh, some grading criteria that's also as transparent as I can make it and shared in the beginning. And then the other strategy I think that helps build comfort is we work with the remixes in class. So in some ways, the remixes they produce re-enter the curriculum when we are in our real-time learning, our face-to-face -face learning, and we will work with them in different ways throughout the semester. Uh, and we do that ahead of their required replies. So they are required to reply to peers, but we work with them in class first. And that also scaffolds or builds comfort for students to think about ways they can extend the conversation. Nice. I, and I, I, as I think about this, I'm thinking about this, that we may have listeners who are teaching middle school, teaching high school, teaching at the college le level. And I wonder how remix journaling might translate to different grade levels and different content areas. Can you talk yes. a little about, bit about that? Absolutely. And I would suggest for all the listeners out there, there's a great uh, book called Intention, Critical Creativity in the Classroom. And it's Amy Berval and um, Dan Ryder, I believe. And that was a book I came across after I had started my visual journaling work in Media Lit. And in many ways, the spirit of that book is all about remix. And I, th I think it's written for middle and high school, but the activities there are broken into modes. So you have visuals, you have audio, you have the body, gamification, things like that. So there's some role play activities. I think that's a great resource for thinking about how to adapt uh, remix and the creative spirit behind remix expressions for various uh, developmental levels. And I think to some extent, creative constraints can be used for adapting this, the spirit of this for different developmental levels. So for instance, if I was in a, a third grade or fourth grade classroom, I might use fair use images from Unsplash or photos for class mm -hmm. and provide students with the option to create the six image story, which isn't my idea. The six image story is out there. Um, but by having images lead the work, uh, students start to 
get into that critical and creative process of identifying symbols and sign systems or metaphors or ways that images can move beyond just literal depictions of their learning. And so that would be a scaffolding method. Uh, you can do that with emojis. Uh, students could take their own pictures. There's so many, again, expressive ways that human beings engage in communication. And that's really what we're looking at through remix journaling is those expressive potentialities. Yeah. And this goes back to that idea of preparing students, right? Because they're already at a young age going to be encountering a lot of these uh, visual images. Um, and so here's a way to help students create their own, but then also like think critically about their own. And then hopefully that can translate to in their world when they're exposed to all these images and visuals that they can think critically about those as well. Absolutely. There's great opportunities to talk about visual communication in ways that enhances students' abilities to pay attention or engage actively outside of the classroom. So a huge purpose of media literacy is this preparation. And in media literacy, we often talk about the shift from passive to active. So when we're watching a, a, a movie, for instance, when we start to incorporate creating media into the classroom, we might talk about high and low camera angles, for instance, and how those camera angles are used to convey meaning that often bypasses our cognitive uh, active thinking mind, uh, because visual literacy really is one of our first languages. And so in many ways, it's intuitive. But when we start to draw attention to those angles, and how camera angles impact us emotionally as viewers and audiences, um, we start to activate critical thinking when we're engaged with all sorts of media. So you might see a, polit a political campaign ad, and you might say, oh, I see what you're doing. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's working, but I see it, and I can identify it and reflect on it. So we shift from, from passive to active. That's part of the purpose. Yeah, I, yeah, I love that idea. Um, and you mentioned earlier, I want to go back to this point, that students are then able to kind of share out their specific or their remix journals, whatever they cr created, um, I think that's, listen, in terms of one of the things when you have readings and then maybe reading questions or when you have other forums, like it's hard to get them to authentically engage in conversations around whatever it is they produced, if it's a piece of writing or something. I think journaling, remix journaling could provide a really cool opportunity to talk more kind of authentically about the product that you created, but also the process you went through to create it. And also whatever the the text or topic that you're you're talking about, right? Yes, yes. And one of the topics we discuss in my media literacy course is uh, representations, media representations, and we get into dominant representations, oppositional representations, and through the remix process, students have shared, and I haven't written about this yet, but students have shared that they are always inspired, impressed. Uh, they engage in greater levels of inquiry when they see their peers' remixes. So there is all of that happening. And I did a presentation at the National Association for Media Literacy Education Conference in 2022 about this idea that remix as a participatory practice facilitates building brave communities of learning. And I use the word brave because we have lots of different experiences that, that are unfolding in the classroom uh, whether they're intentionally unfolding or not. And when you talk about issues related to media, you get into issues related to political, economic, and cultural spaces. 
Um, and so by sharing their remixes, students are, they engage in this perspectives taking, and I've got to learn more about perspectives taking and the history of that word. Um, but they do have insight uh, or invitation to see the world through someone else's eyes. This idea of uh, windows and mirrors, I think, is embedded in remix. Yeah, absolutely. And and if I mean, and it's kind of part of the assignment, right? Like if you're asking students to express themselves, if you're asking them to have a agency over their work, <laughs> then clearly they're going that this is going to come out in ways that things that affect them, things that they care about, things that are important to, to them. And you're right, that's going to touch on things that are political. It's going to touch on things that might make us a little uncomfortable. That's going to touch on uh, uh, things, real things that affect the lives of our students. Yes. And, and, and to clarify, expressing themselves is a piece of the process, but they're also expressing a synthesis of the materials. Right. And that synthesis can be multiple resources synthesized together. If we have uh, a reading and a listening, for instance, or if we have a viewing and a reading, uh, or it can be synthesizing their own experiences. So it is invitational. They don't have to share uh, in personal ways. They can still accomplish the assignment uh, through a synthesis that's more focused on the resources as the mm -hmm. fodder they use. Gotcha. Um, but you're encouraging them to maybe draw connections to the larger world, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, and I talk about this in the article as well. Media literacy is a course that's part of an undergraduate media studies minor. So I'm, I have some challenges in that course because I have students who are first year students in college. I have sophomores, juniors, seniors who are leaving and graduating. And I have all sorts of majors. I might have a rec management major and a commercial photography major or an advertising major and a sustainable development major. And so Remix is really uh, helpful if you have varying levels of preparedness or different perspectives based on students' areas of expertise or passion. Yeah, I, I like that. And we talk, I mean, it's really popular in high school to talk about, and middle school, at all, all grade levels, to talk about different differentiation. And right. sometimes we wonder kind of about what does that mean, right? Does that just mean different reading levels of text? Like, what does that mean? But here's a great opportunity to, to I think, to differentiate and to allow students to to kind of choose their means to show that how they understand um, the, the material being learned. So I think that's cool. Have you experienced um, challenges within teaching or with uh I, I, can you talk a little bit about for a teacher who might start doing this? Mm -hmm. um, can we anticipate some challenges that they, they might face if they want to do this in their classrooms? Well, I'll talk about two challenges. And the first challenge goes back to the origins of the study, which uh, emerged when I started doing some visual journaling in the classroom. And so I wrote a very small uh, internal grant to get some journals and some art supplies in order to do visual journaling with my media literacy students during our real-time meeting. And I think the challenge of that was I generally have classes that run about 75 minutes and meet twice a week. On occasion, I have classes that meet three times a week and run 50 minutes. And so the challenge for that was time because of the distribution of physical materials, that takes time. There's an actual movement that occurs in the classroom. And I think it's so rare that students have the opportunity to make something with their hands that that there's a little bit of shock <laughs> that that takes a pause. <laughs> there's like a moment that they need to to really process what they're doing. And so that was a challenge. If you are looking to do remix in a way that uses physical materials, 
you do need to craft space and time for that. Um, in terms of shifting to the digital format, the, the remix journaling and the outside of class uh, assignment with the engage, express, explain, extend uh, forum conversation, I think that creative work, it takes a lot of energy. It takes something out of you. And because students are busy in other courses that may have more rigorous, well, let's say not more rigorous, but more traditional types mm -hmm. of assignments. So, so here's an example. I'll hear students say, oh, I have a 10 page paper and I'm only on page eight. And that's frustrating. And I can hear in their voice, the target is 10. How am I going to write these two extra pages? Mm -hmm. And they have these side conversations before and after class. So I don't necessarily think that's more rigorous, um, but it is something that has barriers. It presents barriers for students. And so I think what happens, a constraint or challenge for me is I see students by the end of the semester, their remixes for some, not all, might, might rely more on uh, quick and easy methods. So memes, for instance, are a quick and easy way to communicate um, that don't have a lot of forward effort from the student. And I think it's just a natural result of the college semester pathway. They get tired out. And so those last remixes sometimes taper off. But that said, I think that's also an advantage of remix because you don't have to spend hours preparing it. Time is a component, but it doesn't have to be. It can also be your creative thinking process. Those are yeah. the two challenges. Okay. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on rigor. I think when we, we start tying rigor to, to page numbers where we're, we're, we're not understanding the definition of rigor. Um, so no, I, I agree with you. Things can be rigorous and, and look and look different ways in different ways. So, um, and I think the components of not just creating the product, but then explain the product. I mean, that's, that's rigorous right there. Uh, and one more challenge, I'll throw this one in there in terms of yeah. grading, in yeah. terms of grading, like the criteria needs to be very explicit. Um, and for me, I've made it explicitly tied to creative thinking and tracking creative thinking from, from lower levels to higher levels, which often involves a cognitive complexity, relational complexity, because it's really important not to evaluate the product. The process is mm. the focus. And so some students might have a scrawled sketch on a piece of paper that they take a photo of with their phone and they submit. And so technically or aesthetically, it's not going to be on the wall of a museum, but it might demonstrate high levels of creative complexity. And so it's really important, I think, as a teacher to do some reading about creative thinking, to look at existing materials on assessing creativity, like the... Um, the Association of American Colleges and Universities has these great rubrics and they have one on creative thinking, these value rubrics, and those can be a useful tool because you don't want to evaluate the product. And, and I think that's tricky. So that would be a challenge for teachers who start to do this. Yeah, I could. Yeah. And I, I, I love that. I think rubrics in, in this point become a necessary component, not just for teachers, but I imagine for students too, the, so students kind of know what the expectations are. Yes. I would, I would, I would also imagine, um, this is also a great place to use once you've done it a couple of times to use kind of exemplar examples of, yes. of, kind of here's what we're shooting for. Yes. Thank you for bringing that up. Since the article came out, I've produced a nine minute movie on remix journaling. I do a role play. My son's in the video and he pretends he's making this time machine. And then I, it's actually an old telephone. I pick, <laughs> nice. I pick up the handle of the telephone and then I go back in time to the sixties and I wear my seven, my sixties and seventies clothes. Um, and and I talk about remix journaling. And in that video, I provide student examples. 
I also, in the rubric uh, grading guide is what I call it, I provide examples at each level. I use three levels uh, of assessment, a basic remix, an inspirational remix, and a transformative remix. And these are based on the AAC and U rubrics, the, the creative thinking value rubric, as well as the research from Biggs and Collis on evaluating quality of learning, which is um, uh, their solo taxonomy. It's a, a structure of observed learning outcomes. Really good stuff for listeners who want to dig into the, the nitty gritty of this. Um, and so I provide both expressions and explanations for each of these levels and uh, cue students in to how they can prepare their remix to hit transformative levels. They also get feedback each week using the rubric in addition to uh, customized comments that I offer them related to areas of possible growth to hit those transformative levels. Nice. And that that leads, and I'll ask you at the end how people can can follow you and get all this good stuff because that sounds really oh, yeah. interesting. And But uh, uh, that leads my my next question about kind of since you wrote the article, have you still been been teaching this and using this? And, and have you had any kind of new discoveries? Great, great questions. I, I have been continuing to refine and revise and incorporate Remix into my courses. I've added it to selected graduate courses. So I've done it now at the undergraduate level oh, with nice. a, a master's level course and at a doctoral level. And, and some of the products really blow your mind. I had a doctoral student responding to a chapter from Jillian Rose in her book, Visual Methodologies. We were looking at content analysis of mass media messages. And she created a set of Google Slides called Items for My Desk. And it was maybe 15 items that were from her desk at work. And she shared it with the class. And the task was to duplicate the slide. I believe it was a Jamboard. And you needed to categorize the items in groups of three, uh, at least three. And so she illuminated the process of content analysis as a visual methodology by engaging our class community in actually doing something with her remix. So it was very much in the oh, spirit wow. of gamification. I mean, it really did uh, take the whole purpose and process of remix journaling to a new level through that engagement piece. I am continuing to, to, uh, to uh, incorporate it. And I think the next piece is to really revisit the grading guide and write about that because uh, that piece is, I think, very important and undergirds the whole process. Yeah, and there's uh, listen. There's a lot of discussion now about grading and the ungrading movement, and and, and talks yeah. around grading, and and I think your comment earlier about kind of how they work on it, and you give them kind of ongoing kind of descriptive feedback about the process, and you emphasize the process. I mean, I think that's just in the larger grade discussion. I think that's, we need to shift more in that direction, right? Feedback, yeah. focus on the process and focus less on the, the end grade. Yes. And, and in terms of assessment, I've borrowed this pyramid of activities approach from one of my colleagues, Dr. Lindsay Maslin. And from her, I learned that the learning activities that one incorporates into their curriculum might have different levels. Uh, there might be activities that happen often, and those are generally your formative assessments. And so Remix would be a formative assessment. It's an ongoing opportunity. Students have multiple chances to participate, and they get high feedback through their peer replies and from me as the instructor. And so I think in terms of mm -hmm. starting to integrate 
remix or, or expressive uh, kinds of assignments that involve mixed media and multiple modalities, it's really important for teachers to reflect on how to support students in an invitational way to engage in that process. And I think formative assessment is the way to begin. It wouldn't be uh, thoughtful or, or generous to, to kind of do a final product that is a big creative project if students haven't had the opportunities to explore and engage. So much of creativity is taking risks too. And sometimes, you know what, an idea might not work out for your audiences. You think something and audiences might not get it. Yeah. And yeah, this is the big idea with, with in, in school, right? This is the big kind of knock against grading is, is often it punishes taking chances, right? Yeah, yeah. And it encourages to kind of just do the minimum or do what's expected without getting creative. And with this assignment, we, we want to encourage students to take chances and be creative. And so I think, yeah, using it as a formative and um, in that way is, is good advice. I'm thinking about my own, if I want to just incorporate this in, into my teaching, um, I teach education classes, like assessment classes yeah. and literacy classes. And and maybe I already have, like I already have my, my big assessments there. They're, they're there. I like my larger assessments. Um, but maybe I'm looking for small lessons. Like here's like a, here's a reading, but instead of doing the kind of a traditional reading questions or reading quiz, I want to mix up um, how I do that. I want to remix it, if you will. Yes. Could, could this be used not, not only a kind of as an ongoing project, but could this be used in smaller ways? Yes, I think so. So, so consider your assessment class. Um, I assume it's pre-service teacher education majors. Yes. yes. Um, so one of the <laughs> remix is, is just, it's one of those methods that I think intersects with so many different fields. It's cross-disciplinary, it's interdisciplinary. And so mm -hmm. in an assessment context with pre-service teachers, incorporating expressive possibilities for assessment connects to your research in universal design for learning, UDL. It's right yep. there. You can, you can teach about UDL, look at assessment in the context of UDL, um, and you can also invite students to start looking at educational technology integration. So there's a great model called the SAMR model. I'm not sure if you're familiar or if our listeners are familiar, but SAMR is a strategy for incorporating technology in meaningful ways into the classroom where each letter stands for a stage in the process. So I think it begins with simulation. So you would move from having students do some writing on a piece of paper to doing some writing in a Google Doc. And the goal is to move through modification uh, to a level of redefinition. I think it's simulation, augmentation, modification and redefinition. And mm -hmm. so you can also invite students to look at their assessments. How are we using technology and how might we move from simulation of um, the technology use with the assignment to redefining the assignment to do something previously inconceivable uh, through a technology tool? And so I think Remix, the spirit of Remix, whether you call it that or not, is uh, participatory, it's anchored in higher order thinking, and it could certainly be incorporated into an assessment course, as you mentioned, uh, with a foundation in UDL and educational technology theory. Oh, man, I, I want to just take a break from this episode and pull up my <laughs> syllabus and rewrite my syllabus right now with you. because <laughs> these are I, yeah. I, I love those ideas. And so and I think you're right. I think this, this works and can work in kind of different ways depending oh, yeah. on, uh, on whatever kind of you're teaching. Um, so when developing activities, um, for our students and for our classrooms. I want to go back to this idea that kind of we started with. How should we think about how students are using literacy in our in our classroom, in our course, but how they're also using it 
outside the classroom when we're going about creating these assignments? Let's see. So what should we be thinking about? Hmm. For example, if we we can stick with my assessments course, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, or no, can, can we go to high school? Let's go to high school. Yeah, let's do that. Because there's a larger variety of 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 kind of what w- of what makes it kind of authentic and engaging for them. There's mm-hmm. more variety there. Um, so if I'm designing activity, let's say in an English classroom mm-hmm. or a history classroom, let's just go with history, and okay. I want to incorporate this in, in, into history, but I also want them to kind of make these connections, um, like they're seeing memes and 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 gifs and all these on, on social media and all these forms of literacy they're they're watching mm-hmm. the news they're watching tv shows that kind of do all these things um how can we kind of make that and bridge that gap to when we're creating assignments in this history classroom i want them to yeah like show their understanding of the reading but but also show their understanding of of the medium and how to critically observe and critically kind of Mm -hmm. comment on the media that they're seeing not that they're seeing outside the classroom all the time if that question makes sense (laughs) i think so i think so um so in terms of collecting opinions or or sharing uh guidance or advice i think if i if i was a high school history teacher or a high school english teacher any teacher at any level i think the first strategy is to find your allies in your school community who are already doing mm. um, i'm going to use the word creative doing creative kinds of um integrating creative pedagogies into their classroom. So it could be arts-based pedagogies. It could be new media literacy pedagogies. Again, there's a lot of overlap and intersections. And I think the themes are that these things are student-centered, that they have more than one right answer, that they involve higher order thinking, and in that are intrinsically motivating and enjoyable for students. So finding your allies would be a first step and talking to them about what they're doing. And then the second step, I think, would be reflecting on a lesson or a unit that one feels very comfortable with Mm. and finding a way to augment or enhance that unit through some of these participatory culture practices um, such as remix and, and then moving out from there, you know, engaging in reflection. Teachers are so creative and they are incredibly reflective. And I think there's a lot of care Uh, because we tend to identify with the work that we do. And therefore, we spend a lot more of our minds, energy (laughs) thinking about how to create these engaging experiences that are relevant, meaningful for our students that result in significant learning. And so finding allies, starting with a unit that's already very comfortable for one, and, and watching, observing students The first time I had the gumption to incorporate visual journaling into my undergraduate media literacy class, I explained what we would do, and it was just a short activity, 15, 20 minutes. Uh, I believe we did found poetry, blackout poetry, which is nothing new. I'm not reinventing, uh, I'm not making something new here. These are all ideas that others have done. But what happened was the classroom got quiet. And then it became very loud with the sounds of tearing paper and passing Mm -hmm. markers. And and just there was this feeling in my mind that these students were ravenous, that they had been deprived of this kind of creative experience. It was really a somatic kind of experience there in the classroom. So watching students and listening to students and and then revisiting your practice uh, as a lifelong process. Yeah, 
I, I appreciate you taking my long-winded core <laughs> question and coming up with a really good answer. The, I think of uh, th th those ideas, though, of being like student-centered, engaging, mm -hmm. um, authentic, relevant. Like I, teachers want that, right? We we want that. Yes. I think sometimes we don't know how to get from wanting that to like getting that actually occurring in our classroom. Well, I think your, your suggestion, remix journaling, is one avenue to to kind of get more in that direction. Yes, and and I think to be totally genuine and authentic to the actual context of your middle school or your high school classroom. We, we also need, we, we can't do these things without support, mm -hmm. support from our community of colleagues, support from our administration. It, it's difficult to do some of these things. If your uh, subject area is, is needs to support uh, standards, narrow standards. And so, I think part of finding your colleagues who are doing this is asking them how they're addressing some of those components, those top-down pressures that do restrict how or what we can do in terms of meeting our learners' needs. And so in some ways, it's a dance, and we need to balance what's expected uh, with what we know in theory and practice is important for our learners. And, and control is not always in our hands. We don't always have that benefit. Oh, so it's true. And, and I don't want to minimize they, uh, the, I mean, there's some risk risk taking here when you try something new mm -hmm. and something that's more creative focused, there's a bit of risk taking here on how um, it'll be perceived by administration. Um, I, I think here in Georgia, they just took their big standardized test to Georgia milestones. Yes. And I think after the Georgia milestones, like this might be a good opportunity where you have a little more flexibility since you've prepared mm -hmm. students for the state test. Now you maybe have a little more freedom and in how you teach the next new unit, it might be a good idea to incorporate this. I also like the idea of, you talked about before, about it being kind of ongoing. And I'm big into teachers are always kind of in a state of becoming better at their job. We yeah. we never become masters at it. We're always trying to get better. So so even if we try this and it it doesn't, we have issues with it and it doesn't become super effective, that's fine. Like we can learn from it and try again next semester and try to get a little better and a little better at it each time. Yes, we are on a continuum of always becoming um, more dedicated, effective practitioners, certainly. And, uh, and, and I want to just throw one more thought out there. I think creativity is easily demeaned, um, but a piece of the research that I want to dig into further is looking at creativity as connected to higher order thinking. And so I think there's the possibility that these kinds of experiences in the classroom will improve students' overall holistic cognitive development in a way that would even support standardized tests that are unrelated. I don't have any evidence to back that mm. up, but my, my assumption is that whenever you engage students in higher order thinking, you are building and, and, and working on uh, augmenting their critical and creative capacities. Yeah. And when we talk about college and getting our students college and career ready, mm -hmm. you know, at the secondary level, um, I think a lot of professions, there's a ton of creativity that's in part of the job. And we don't spend a lot of time in school telling kids how to kind of be creative and solve problems in a creative way. Um, and we need to do more of that. So I think this encourages more of that preparing students for life outside of high school or life outside of college and the careers by more creatively look, looking at problems. Yes. And, and that brings us full circle, Matt. I think <laughs> at, the end, at the beginning and end of my article, I kind of bookend it with this suggestion that 
you know, solving problems takes creativity. And so we don't know necessarily what, what the world will be like tomorrow. Um, and so preparing our students for a future is all we can do. We can't, we can't pave the way uh, for them any other way than investing in them. Absolutely. Teresa, this conversation has flown by. It's been yes. really good talking with you. Um, do you have, I just have two final questions. Do you have any new projects in the work that you want to talk about? And wh where, where can people follow you for your current stuff and for your new work? All right. So um, new projects in the works. Well, I'll share that I, I think I've taught I don't know. I've had 15 semesters with new preps in 12 years. So I'm always teaching new classes. I'm always designing new curriculum. And so I've got a digital storytelling class coming up. So in terms of projects, that's my teaching. That's my heart. Um, in terms of research, they are interconnected, but uh, I'm doing a little work with Ecomedia Literacy right now. And of course, continuing the remix uh, work with a focus on that uh, grading guide that I've developed. In terms of where people can find me, I'm on I'm on Twitter right now, uh, Instagram. That's more of my art uh, self. LinkedIn is probably the best place, and I do have a professional website where I blog periodically. It's pretty sparse uh, as I focus on my students and curriculum design. Um, so if people just search your name, uh, Teresa oh, Redmond, yeah. they'll find you on those platforms. Yeah, I think so. I think that'll work. Um, Okay. In the show notes, I'll link you. I'll I'll, I'll put your LinkedIn page. Yeah, on let's do that. Notes. We'll we'll share some some of those social media links uh, in the show notes. That's a yeah, great. Yeah, put idea. them on the show notes. I can put them on the show notes. I'll put them on the show notes. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you, Dr. Teresa uh, Redman. This has been um, just a really in, in, enjoyable conversation. I appreciate you so much for spending the time and talking to me about this stuff. Likewise, thank you, Matt. I appreciate the dedication you have to these topics, uh, running these podcasts. It's a big effort. Absolutely. Thanks so much.